Well, it's been a while since I've preached. <laughs> uh, it's been about a year now, uh, but I'm really looking forward to it. One of the amazing things uh, that begins to happen as you prepare, as you really begin to dive into the Word, uh, more so than through normal devotion, and you begin to see what God is saying on a more personal level. And it really allows one to really come in contact with God. Um, and you begin to hear the words of the people God has chosen to reveal his word and truth to you. Uh, and, and that happens here in John. Why did God choose John to write the book of John? Was well, to convey a message in a certain way. And I want you to keep one thing in the back of your mind during today's sermon. And that is the intent in the writing of the gospel. John wanted to share the word of who Jesus was and keep it short and sweet. John does not hold any punches. It's a one-two. For me, it becomes apparent that there is no fluff in John's writing. So if we look at John 20, verses 30 through 31, you will see that John tells you the very purpose as to why he is writing the Gospel of John. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book, but but this is why he's not putting the fluff into the book. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. That is the purpose of John. He tells you there is no doubt, there is no question as to why you, when you read the book of John, to, as to why he is writing it. This is the most needed message anyone will ever need to hear and understand. Let's pray. Dear Father, we just come before you today and we just lift up your name and praise. Lord, we give all glory and honor to you. We humbly come before you just worshiping you. We come prepared to hear your word. We ask that you open our hearts, that you remove the scales from our eyes, that our ears are opened, and that your word penetrates us, that we marinate and bask in your word and truth, Lord. Lord, I ask that you protect and guard and garnish the words that come out of my mouth that if there's any untruth, that it be stricken from the minds and hearts of those that are hearing. But only truth is spoken, Lord. That your spirit goes out and fills the hearts of your chosen. And that those words are acted upon. Lord, we thank you for the precious gift of life that you've given us through your son. It's through his name we pray. Amen. So we've been going through the book of John, and we're approaching the end of chapter 6. And there's a lot to unpack. Hence, it has taken us a few weeks to get through 6. Uh, and, and I just want to review, because when you read 6, when you, when you read the book of John, like I said, he doesn't hold punches and it can seem like if you take it apart, it's individual things that he's discussing. But John is wrapping up uh, the very point of why he's writing John. And Jesus is going to make some big proclamations. But there's a lot to unpack when you look at the purpose of John and who he's writing to. And who the audience, the disciples, and Jesus are talking to during the sermon. 
And one of the things that always helps me, and I keep it very simple, is the acronym COMA. Okay? First thing we look at is we look at context. Then we look at observations. And the observations are those things that when you read, you sit there and you begin to question. Well, that sounds odd. Well, didn't he say this over here? Well, what's going on over here? I don't understand this. And you begin to answer those questions because what it allows you to do is look back to try to answer those questions so you have a better understanding. And then M, meaning. It's not what it means to you, but what does God mean by these very words that he has put in the book to communicate to you. And then last, A, application. We ask the question, now what? So what? What am I to do with it? Well, we're to act. And we'll see that here in these verses in John 6. So our sermon passage today is John 6, 52 through 59. But in order to get the entire context of the passage, We need to review what's happened. Now, I'm not going to start with verse 1 and go through. We heard a lot of that last week with Pastor Clay. But I am going to review starting at verse 22 because it's all-inclusive. And in order to understand what Jesus is about to say, we need to understand what's happening and why in 52 the audience begins to question and grumble. So if you'll turn to John 6... Verse 22. Now, let me preface this with a quick summary. What's just happened? Jesus has given his sermon. They celebrate the Passover. He feeds the 5,000. And he leaves and he walks on water to the disciples. The disciples get in a boat and they leave. It's the only boat there. And Jesus meets them on the water during a storm, walking on water. And we'll talk more about that here shortly of what that demonstrates and tying back in a message Clay preached about two weeks ago. So verse 22. On the next day, the crowd that remained on the other side of the sea that there had been only one boat there and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but that his disciples had gone away alone. Other boats from Tiberias came near the place where they had eaten the bread after the Lord had given thanks. Remember, this is the 5,000. So when the crowd saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they themselves got into the boats and went to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, teacher, when did you come here? Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill with the loaves. Do not labor for the food that priests, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. They said to him, what must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, then what sign do you do? Now, what did they just witness? (laughs) He just fed them with loaves and fishes. And they're asking again, okay, now what? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. 
For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should, not have, should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him, because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble amongst yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they will all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. And then we come to today's passage. The Jews then disputed amongst themselves saying, how can this man give us flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread that came down from heaven. Not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Jesus said these things in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. It's amazing how real the scriptures are. As we sit there and we hear that Jesus repeats over and over and over, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that nourishes. Believe in me. This is the will of my Father. Now how many times do we go out and we talk to other believers and we hear, if only I knew God's will for my life. Well, guess what? He tells you what his will is. God has given us the answers. And we hear this, that they are grumbling. Not once, not twice, but three times, the Jews begin to grumble at what they're hearing. Why are they grumbling? Because they're hearing what they don't want to hear. They're prideful. They are full of pride. That's not what I want to hear. I want a simple answer. What are they looking for? They're looking for a ruler. Why does Jesus walk away in the first place? Why does he sneak out? Because we learn in the beginning of verse, chapter 6 that they're wanting him to become a king. That they're wanting him to lead this rebellion. They want what their selfish hearts want and not what God wants them to hear or do. And he's telling them this whole time, just like us as parents, how many times do we have to tell our kids over and over and over the same thing? And what do we hear from our kids? I know, you don't have to tell me a hundred times. Well, yeah, I do because you're not getting it. Stop and listen to the words coming out of my mouth. What do you think Jesus is saying? 
Truly, truly, I say to you, listen to the words coming out of my mouth. He's stopping short of just tapping them on the forehead saying, listen to me. But the rebellious hearts are hardened. They're full of pride. Think about all the different people that are there. Now, first of all, where are they? They're in Calpurnium. They're in a synagogue. And they're Jews. They have the answer. They are the chosen people. Just because I'm a Jew, because I'm an Israelite, I'm saved. I've got the title. Just because I'm an American, I have the truth and I get to go to heaven. Just because I'm an Israelite, I get to go to heaven. I know God. I know what the word says. So they begin to question, who is he to tell us? This rabbi. Now, I don't know about you. Now, remember what they have seen. They have just seen him do miracles. They have just seen him feed all of them with loaves and fishes. Now, I'm curious when I read this, what the disciples are thinking in the back. Because what did they just witness? Here comes this man walking on water (laughs) during a storm. They also ask, what is he claiming? How dare he? And last but not least, we know what the scriptures say. But we find out that they don't. They don't. They're only hearing what they want to hear. It's that selective hearing. We've all been blessed with it. Wives, don't look at your husbands and laugh. Okay? We've all been blessed with selective hearing. So when we sit there and we review these verses, we got to look at two things. We got to look at one, what do the verses not say? And two, what do they do say? So I want to begin with what these verses do not say or what they do not mean. Because when we hear the bread of life, instantly our minds as believers, we begin to think of the Lord's Supper. Jesus is not talking about the Lord's Supper here, okay? This isn't in reference to this being his body. So let's let's put that aside because if that is what he was talking about, then by these very verses, he's saying that your actions play a part in salvation. That your actions play a role in the redemptive work of God. And they don't. So we've got to put that one off the table because that's not what this verse means. Not only that, that's way ahead of what's about to happen. So, what's one thing these don't mean? Well, one, it doesn't mean it's a literal translation. Jesus isn't saying, eat me. Jesus isn't promoting cannibalism okay now later in church history that is one of the things that Christians get charged with that's one of the things the Jews and the Romans and different pagan groups try to proclaim is that the Christians are a bunch of cannibals well that's not what happens and if you want to read more of that you can read uh, Justin Martyr's apology on that and how he defends that and how they misinterpreted that. Okay. But then let's look at what else. For them, a literal translation would be offensive. Why? Why would it be offensive to Jews? Well, one... Look at what's happening. They have just celebrated the Passover. Now, what's the Passover? Right. 
they took blood, there was a sacrifice, and they took blood and smeared it over the doorpost. And it's a reminder that they are the chosen people, right? And there are rules and regulations that God gave them. And we can read this in Leviticus and Deuteronomy. For example, Leviticus 17.3, it shall be a statute forever throughout your generations and all your dwelling places that you eat neither fat nor blood. Now, wait a minute. Jesus just said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. In Leviticus 17, 10 through 16, blood is the life. There is life in blood. If any one of the house of Israel or the strangers who sojourn among them eats any blood, I will set my face against the person who eats blood and will cut him off from amongst his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement for life. The altar. What would begin to happen? The Jews would give a sacrifice. They would take that blood and smear it on the side of the altar an offer of atonement, asking for forgiveness. Now, as we read the Old Testament, there's four blood offerings. There's four offerings related to forgiveness. Now, we have to remember, what is sin? Sin is a crime against God. And therefore, it being a crime, an action against God, there must be a penalty. There must be a price paid. And that price is death. Very early on, we begin to see the price that has to be paid is death. The life that is found in blood. So the four sacrifices in which blood is related to different offerings is the burnt offering, the peace offering, the sin offering, and the guilt offerings. You can find all these in Leviticus. But essentially what begins to happen as well is that there's a hand laying, a transfer of sins. Offer the sacrifice, smear the blood, place your hands, and transfer the sins onto something else. And then there is forgiveness. But why make an atonement? Because a price has, been, has to be paid for an offense against God. Yes, God is a loving God. Yes, God is a holy God. A, a, a word that we take too lightly sometimes is holiness, the holiness of God. God is holy, we are not. In their arguing, they, be, they misunderstand and they strictly think on this physical level of what he's saying. And they're missing the cues. He has spent this whole time in six explaining what he is meaning by the bread of life. He even goes as far as to say, hold on, let's talk about the manna. What was the manna for? And we heard this last week in Pastor Clay's sermon. Sustenance. I like that word. I thought it was pretty cool. Sustenance. <laughs> but to provide a sustaining life, to nourish us on a physical level, that is what they're thinking. How are you promoting this eating of the flesh? How are you promoting this drinking? Who are you? Isn't this Joseph's son? We know him. Wait a minute, he's claiming to come from heaven? We knew him when he was this big. But Jesus tries to explain to them, I'm not talking about the physical. In 53 through 59, Jesus begins to relate to them that he is not talking about the physical aspects of this, but he's talking about spiritual nourishment. You crave what I have to give you. You are craving what God is providing. 
It's not you. Moses didn't provide it. Provision and nourishment did not come from man. It came from God. God sent the manna. God sent Christ. Why? Well, we're going to look into that because Jesus answers that. And I want you to look at the first thing of what Jesus is saying. Okay, we're going to look at what Jesus is saying. The first thing he says is, I am. Now, he says it over and over. That's why I wanted to review chapter 22 through now. He says, I am the bread of life. I am the life giver. Now, how many times does he say this? Well, in these sections, he says it five times. Now, if you're a parent, how many times do you have to tell your kids something before they get it? Kids, how many times do you have to tell your parents something before they get it? (laughs) Okay? He tells them five times, I am the bread of life. Hello, McFly. They're not getting it. There are seven I am statements in the book of John. Okay, I told you before, John doesn't hold punches. He just puts it right out there. Seven I am statements in the book of John. One, I am the bread of life. Six, chapter six, verses 35, 48, 51. I am the light of the world, chapter 8, 12, chapter 9, 5. I am the door of the sheep, chapter 10, verses 7 and 9. I am the good shepherd, chapters 10, 11, and 14. I am the resurrection and the life, chapters 11 and 25. I am the way, the truth, and the life, chapter 14, verse 6. I am the true vine, chapter 15, 1. Is there any doubt who Jesus is proclaiming to be? Is there any doubt? Well, who's he think he is? He is the man, the son of God. He is claiming deity. He is claiming he is from heaven. He is the creator. I am the bread of life. I love John. Puts it out there. You don't have to question. John 8, 58 through 59. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. But Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. At this time, there is no doubt who Jesus is claiming to be. And if they would just open their eyes and close their mouths, they might begin to see what they're asking for. Show us a sign. Well, how many more do you want? Tell me the truth. Ah, truly, truly, I say to you, Now, you have to understand why these repetitive words and this repetition that begins to occur. It's also to show the importance. In Jewish culture, the more you repeated something, the more emphasis there was put on it. Holy, holy, holy. Not only are you holy, but you're holy, holy. Oh, but not aren't you just holy, holy. You're holy, holy, holy. Okay? There's this tier. You're holy, and then you're holy, and then you're really holy. And there's only one person they claim that to be, and that's God. You know, uh, Sproul used to comment on this when he used to say in the Jewish language when they say pit, pit. You go, okay, there's a pit, and there's another pit. No, what they're saying is a pit, and it's a really deep pit because it's a pit with a pit. So what's Jesus saying here? I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. I am the bread of life. There is no doubt what he is saying here and what he's emphasizing. He is referring to himself as God. I am. Those are words that would ring in their ears. It would make them hit the brakes. 
that make them stop and ask, wait a minute, this guy can't be saying this. Well, if you didn't hear me the first time, let me tell you again. I am the bread of life. There's no doubt what he's claiming. Now the question is, why is he claiming this? Is he telling me to eat his flesh? Is he telling me to drink his blood? I, I don't understand this. This, would, this is wrong. Well, he tells them, this, I'm not talking in a literal sense. And Pastor Clay touched on this. They're thinking temporal sustenance. The temporary. And he's saying, you're thinking short term. I'm talking like long term. I'm talking eternal life. God is the only thing that can provide any nourishment for us. He provides our physical needs for we will not want. We won't need. He will provide it. But he also provides for our spiritual needs and that is what he's talking about here. He's talking about the spiritual needs, that he is here to fulfill our spiritual nourishment that our bodies and our souls so greatly need. When we thirst, when we hunger, those are God-given gifts. They're to draw us to him. Just like food being useless unless it is eaten, Spirituality is useless unless it's pointed towards God. And when I talk about spirituality, I'm not talking about crystals and different, quote, gods. I'm talking about the God. I am. He is the only one that can sustain us. He's the only one that can crave our hunger and thirst for God. Why? Because it has to be internalized. No truth, knowing the truth, isn't any good unless what? It's acted upon. We have to act upon it. And what does he tell us? That it is just through belief. Right? It's just through faith. That's all he's asking. Believe in me. You ask for signs, I've given you signs. You still don't believe. Why? Because you're full of pride. You don't want to hear the truth because you're so caught up in the short term. You're so caught up in the now. You're so caught up in your own selfish hearts and what you want, what you think is going to be, bring you joy. I sit there and I read this and I think about this and I kind of sit there and go, man, what sounds real good? Man, I want some General Cho's chicken from the fast food Chinese place. Man, Mm. and I eat that, and it tastes good. And about 20 minutes later, I'm like, man, I'm hungry still. <laughs> tastes good, tastes great, less filling, <laughs> right? That's food. But God is saying, I've got the truth. I am that truth. I am the bread of life. You come to me, I will nourish you. You come to me, you will have eternal life. I speak the truth. Prove me wrong. Food and blood, food and blood are the image for our spiritual nourishment. It's prompted by hunger. You know, we, we sit there and we look around as believers sometimes and, and we look at somebody and go, don't they just get it? Don't they get it? Now, how many Jews during this time do you think were Jews by name? How many nominal Jews do you think were there? Pretty much all of them, right? They're, we're the Israelites, we're the Jews. It, we're the chosen people. And that's how they looked at themselves. That's how they looked at themselves. Sinners, 
When we look out, they're satisfied in their own sins. They see no need for Christ. They see no need. It's no different. Don't be surprised when the act, act lost. Don't be surprised when the lost act lost. When I heard that quoted, man, so many light bulbs went off, so many bells began to ring. That makes sense. Don't be surprised when a non-believer, guess what, acts like a non-believer. What should surprise us? When someone that claims to be a believer acts like a non-believer, that's when we should be shocked. We shouldn't be shocked when a non-believer acts like a non-believer. That should not surprise us. Why'd they do that? Well, guess what? Because they wanted to. They wanted to. But those that hunger for the spiritual will find satisfaction in him. Those that don't won't find any satisfaction. Calvin wrote, as the body is weakened and consumed, but the want of food, so the soul. If it be not fed with heavenly bread, will soon perish with hunger. If we're not fed, if we don't turn to God for our nourishment and we rely on just us, we will go hungry. We will starve. And what happens when we starve? We die. But Jesus gives us the answer. I am the bread of life. I give you eternal life. I will nourish you. I will give you every ounce of nourishment you need to quiet your hunger and thirst. I'm the only way. Remember, it's personal. We can't eat for somebody else. When I'm hungry, Byron, you can't eat for me. I wish sometimes it would happen, but it doesn't. Right? Our relationship with God is personal. I can't have someone do it for me. I can't have somebody do it for me. So why does Christ refer to this imagery of food so often? Well, one, it's easy. It's something they can understand. It's something they can understand. When you're hungry, eat. When you're thirsty, drink. I get it. When, when my stomach goes, rawr, 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 it's time to put something in it. When I start, it's time to drink. Well, when my soul begins to dry up, I need the Lord. Well, how long does that take? It does not take very long. It doesn't take very long. You cannot survive without the grace of God. It's just not going to happen. And what greater grace than this is word? It is a personal and daily act, being in the word, having faith, nourishing on Christ, eating the bread and drinking the water, the living water, eating his flesh and drinking his blood. He's giving an analogy He's referencing something they can get, these aha moments. Oh, I'm making the connection now of what you're trying to say. Now we find out later, they still don't get it. Okay, but there's a reason for that. And we will get into that next week on part two of this sermon. Okay. 
but they rely on themselves and what they think they want to hear. And they are so ingrained in their beliefs and in their own thoughts that they shut out the truth. I sit there and I, and I think about this and I think about the story or, or kids, you know, putting things in the light sockets or trying to reach up to the hot pot. Don't do that. You're going to end up hurt. You're going to end up hurt. And how many times do they touch that hot stove? <gasps> well, what'd I tell you? It's the same thing here. I am the bread of life. Listen to me. I am telling you. I'm trying to be a loving father. And you're refusing to listen. You need it every day. You cannot be nominal. So what's that mean for us? Well, one, we need the word every day. Now, what do I mean by the word? The Bible? Yes, you need the Bible every day. But more importantly, we talked about John not holding any punches, right? Now think about this. The first five verses of John. First five verses. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Right in the beginning, first sentence. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness was, has not overcome it. There's the gut punch. You have any doubt what you're about ready to read, you've got issues because he's telling you, black and white, here it is. Jesus is God. He was there in the beginning, and he's here now, and he's going to be there tomorrow. He is in control, he is sovereign, and he has authority over everything, so you better listen. Next week, we're going to dive in towards the conclusion of John, and Matt, you will close uh, chapter six for us the week after that. But what we're gonna talk about is the redemptive work of God. Redemption is the work of God. Jesus is offering his flesh, the price of redemption. We've already seen what blood is representing. Blood is the representation of life. You wanna atone for your sins, it is through blood. Now we could sit there and continue to spread blood on the altar and lay our hands and get nowhere. Christ was it. I am the bread of life. Eat my flesh, drink my blood. I am all that you need. He claims five times, like I said, that he is the living bread that has come down from heaven. Eat and live forever. The manna was short term. They had to have it every day. But then we also begin to see that God is the one that's awakening the souls. Why aren't they listening? Because they haven't realized their lost condition yet. They continue to rely on themselves and these practices versus sitting there seeing that it was God the whole time. That's what he's saying. Yes, Moses called it down, but God provided. It came from heaven. It didn't come from you. It's not coming from me. It's not coming from Pastor Clay. The word of God 
is God's word. Christ came from heaven. Once we recognize our lost condition, there's this hunger that begins to develop in us. This hunger for forgiveness, this recognition of sins, this, wait a minute, I was lost, but I shouldn't be acting lost. There's something going on here. It drives us to the bread of life. It drives us to figure out what's going to satisfy this hunger and this thirst that's just craving in me that I can't get enough of. But in these words, I am the bread of life. There are four promises Jesus provides that we can look at. Those who reject Jesus have no life. Promise one. If you do not have Jesus, you will die. Plain and simple, in the words of John, holding no punches, you are going to die. That is a promise. Promise two. Those that eat and drink will have eternal life. Those that believe in God those that look at Jesus as your Lord and Savior will have eternal life. I am the bread of life. How many times does he tell you, eat and drink of me and you will have eternal life? Five times. Five times. Three, Christ will rise up on the last day. He will rise you up on the last day. We look at 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We're even found to be misrepresenting God. Because we testify that God, that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it's true, that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. If this isn't true then we believe a pack of lies and we're all going to die. But that's not the truth. If we don't believe, if we don't come through faith that he is the one and only way we perish, we will perish The fourth promise, we will have union with Christ. 2 Corinthians 13, 5, Colossians 1, 22, Christ is in you. You and Christ become one. Galatians 2, 20, Christ will live in me, Paul says. 1 John, John, here we go again, another book of John. John not holding punches, 5, 20. And we know that the Son of God... Who is he? The Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know him who is true. Why did he come? So we know he is true. And we are in him who is true. In his Son, Jesus Christ, he is the true God and eternal life. The whole book of John and John's purpose is to say Christ is Christ. He is the Messiah. Jesus is the answer. Jesus sacrificed and paid for your sins. There is no more sacrificing and spreading it on the altars, putting it over your doorposts or anything like that. There is no more scapegoat. You no longer have to lay your hands and say, take my sins. No, you become before the cross. You kneel down and you recognize that Christ is God.
doesn't get much more humbling than that. Except for the very fact he says, all you have to do is believe. You don't have to go out and sacrifice. You don't have to go up and raise a whole bunch of money. You don't have to go out and recruit, you know, 15 angels from the angel tree. You don't have to, not that those are bad things, but that's not what you have to do. Believe. Listen to the truth. Listen to the Spirit. Tug on your heart. Let those scales fall from your eyes. Unplug those ears and open your heart. Humble yourselves. Push pride aside. Man's greatest sin, pride, self-want. Jesus has life in himself so believers can have life in him. He defeated death. death of Christ was definite. It was specific. It was actual. It was precise. Have no doubt. Man had no part in the death of Christ. That was the redemptive work of God. The part you played, you want to know what the part you played? You took that hammer, you took that nail, and you pierced him with it. That is the part we played. The part God played was all of it. He sacrificed himself, He took your sins, He offered redemption. He gave you the gift of life. Think about what we are celebrating. We are celebrating Christmas. Why? Because it's the life. Right? We're selling the life of, quote, baby Jesus. No. That's not what we are celebrating. We are celebrating our Redeemer. Yes, Jesus was a little baby in a manger, but that's not who he is. He is our life giver. He is the bread of life. Listen to the seven I am's once more that John points out that Jesus sits there and says, I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door of the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. That is why we celebrate. Because Jesus is the great I am. We celebrate the gift that God's giving us gift of hope, the gift of life, the gift of being able to walk and talk with him upon his return. No more sickness, no more disease, no more pain, no more suffering. The curse will be gone. We're celebrating the fact that he has chosen us to be in a relationship with him. That is why we celebrate. The death of Christ was definite, specific, and actual on behalf of God's chosen people. Limited in extent, by a sovereign purpose, but unlimited in effect for all for whom it was rendered. Richard Baxter. So what's he saying? Jesus was 
the, capital T, capital H, capital E, the price paid to God on behalf of all who would believe. So why this reference to bread and water, flesh and blood? To make the connection to you that he is the only nourishment that you need. You're not going to find it anywhere else. You're not going to go to the Chinese restaurant and get yourself some General Cho's for lunch today and fill a spiritual thirst. It's not going to happen. You're going to continue to be hungry. You're not going to go get a Joe Olstein book and hear how great you are and how you have the power to do everything. You're not going to find it there. You're going to find it in Christ. You're going to find it through the Holy Spirit. You're going to find it in his words. I implore you to be in the word every day, to be in prayer every day with your father. To come to him with adoration. To come to him with thanksgiving. To recognize who he is and what he has done. And why? Why? To have a relationship with you. To know you personally. If you don't know this relationship, if you don't know God... Please come to us after service. Let us share to you who God is, who Christ was. Don't be like the Jews and sit there and grumble and say, who is he? Who is this man? And remember, the whole purpose of John but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ the son of God and that by believing you may have eternal life in his name let's pray dear Heavenly Father we just come before you today and just thank you for your words Lord thank you for speaking to our hearts Lord, thank you for just speaking truth to us, Lord. There's so much stuff out there that tries to just tell us the opposite of truth, that, that hides itself in these facades of things that look good or look appealing, that look like they're just gonna quench our thirst and give us this food that's just gonna satisfy our hunger, Lord. We get so wrapped up into it, and it could feel good for a day, feel good for a couple days, feel good for a week, a year, but eventually something just begins to happen, and we just kind of feel empty. Lord, it's just all vanity. We don't feel satisfied, Lord. There's always just something missing, and we don't quite know what it is. But Lord, we thank you for just giving us the truth. For those that you've selected, Lord, to just sit there and to recognize and understand that, ah, I see now. What a gift, Lord. Lord, I just ask that you continue to make me hungry, that you continue to make me thirsty for you, for your word, for your truth, and that I continue just to come before you and humble myself and just say, feed me, Lord. Give me flesh. Give me blood. Lord, I thank you for the life you've given. I thank you for the gift of grace. Lord, as we go out, we begin to enter the world and we start to interact with people today. Not, don't let us be surprised when the act act lost. But let us have understanding and begin to open our hearts and be able to share, Lord. Let us speak the truth. Let us go out and share. You've commanded us to share your word, Lord, to share the truth. Lord, we ask that you continue to grow your church, 
This church and every one of your churches, Lord, filled with those people that believe, Lord. Let us worship and honor you. Let us always put you on the forefront of everything, Lord. Let us leave Christ-centered lives. Let us stand out in the crowd. And when people ask what's different, let us say it's God. Lord, we just thank you for the precious gift of life. Through your son that we humbly come before you. Amen.